Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. I'm glad that we can be here together to worship our God. What a great song. Uh, I love that song. I appreciate uh, you leading that for us and us all singing that praise uh, to God. Again, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for being here. I know we may have some people who uh, are not normally here, uh, and we are glad that you are here. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we hope that you will be uh, uplifted and that you will uh, benefit from your time here today, and certainly that you will focus your attention on worshiping and serving God uh, this morning. This morning we're going to look at some lessons from mom. You know, God in his word, with his wisdom and infinite experience, he has put all kinds of analogies in the Bible. He's put so many analogies in the Bible that there's, there's no doubt that if you will take the time to, to read the Bible, you'll be impressed with all the different analogies that are in there. You'll be impressed and you'll find one of them at least, and probably a lot of them, that you can relate to. It's almost like God uses these analogies because he, he really wants you to understand what he's saying. Uh, you know, that's, that's how analogies work, right? We, 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 we relate something that we may not understand a whole lot to something we really do understand, uh, and that helps us to understand it. We almost get the idea that God really wants us to get the idea. God really wants us to understand what's going on and, and what he has to say about it. In the Bible, you can find analogies about nature. He says we shine like stars in the universe. He says we are the uh, people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He says if you will wait for the Lord, you will mount up with wings like eagles and fly. You have analogies from agriculture, uh, things that like sowing seeds and uh, pruning and the patience of the farmer. You find analogies from food that all of us can relate to. Jesus himself calls himself the bread of life and says, if you drink from the waters that I offer, you'll never thirst again. And of course, we here uh, partake of the Lord's Supper and we remember the body and the blood of Jesus and recognize the analogy that that helps us to understand the sacrifice, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And then there are all kinds of analogies about all the different relationships that we may have. Many, many more than what I'll mention here, but here are some that definitely stick out to us. There are analogies about our relationship with God expressed in our relationships in marriage. There are analogies about how we ought to treat God and how we ought to treat our children or our fathers or, yes, today even our mothers, and we want to look at specifically one of those here in a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter two. We'll read verses five through nine. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses five through nine. We'll get there uh, in just a few minutes. Again, if you uh, are here and you don't have a Bible for whatever reason, there are some Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you, and uh, that passage starts on page nine eighty-seven. Page nine eighty-seven. If you want to use that pew Bible that you have in front of you, now I do want to take a moment and acknowledge the fact that uh, Mother's Day is not an easy day for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, I have been um, reminded so much of it this week and leading up to this sermon that I almost decided not to preach about mothers at all today and just to change it up completely because of so many difficulties that some people have with Mother's Day. So today and right now, I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge the fact that uh, it may be a difficult day for you because you may have recently lost your mother, and we grieve with you and we recognize that. I want to recognize and realize that we're going to talk about some some good aspects of what godly mothers are and how that can help us to be better Christians, but I realize and recognize that not everyone here had a good godly mother. You may have had a bad mother, uh, and for that, I grieve with you, and I'm sorry. I hope that at the very least that, that all of us here who had good mothers, when we think about these good things about godly mothers, it will remind us about the good things about our mom, and I hope that if you were not blessed with a good mother, uh, that this will, will show you and, and help you to appreciate what God wanted your mother to be like. 
And again, I'm sorry that if that is not the case and not the blessing that you had. I also will recognize and, and, and say that, that especially in our world today, a lot of the stereotypical things we think about mothers and the stereotypical things we think about dads, uh, sometimes those roles and those uh, specific items and the chores and all of those things, I, I may talk about some things that generally and again stereotypically relate to moms and, and you may be living in a household where dad does some of those things. And that's okay in some ways, and, and we got to be careful with some of those things. But in general, that's, that's generally a, an okay thing. But let's just recognize and, and, and appreciate this morning that God wants us to have good mothers. And so many others have already talked about the importance of good and godly mothers. First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, again, verses 5 through 9, will be there in just a second. But when we think about the Thessalonian church, uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is on his uh, second missionary journey. He's traveling all around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, going from place to place, just as, as many places as possible, especially uh, Greece and, and Asia Minor and that, that area. And he works his way to a place called Thessalonica, uh, a city called Thessalonica. And he's there, and he teaches, and he's there about three weeks now, if you know Paul, when he really latches on to people, he usually stays for a while. In Ephesus, he's there about three years. In Corinth, Corinth he's there about a year and a half. He, he likes digging in and being with the people. And it seems as if he would have liked to have been with the Thessalonian church longer. He teaches there. He goes into their synagogue, and many people begin to, to follow him. But there's such a strong... A group of Jews that don't like what he's saying because he's drawing them, drawing people away from Judaism and drawing them to this new thing, Christianity, that they cause a riot in the city and they're dragging people out of their houses and threatening to kill them. And so the Thessalonian Christians that have just become Christians, the, 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 the longest tenured Christian in Thessalonica was three weeks long. And many of them, most of them, probably far less than that. And he's ripped away from them. And they send him down uh, eventually to Athens and eventually he comes to Corinth. And a number of months later, uh, he writes this letter back to uh, the church. When we think about the Thessalonian church, really probably from Acts anyway, we actually think about the Berean church because remember, uh, they, they're driven out of Thessalonica. They go to Berea and what do, we, what do we know about the Bereans? They're more noble-minded. Well, more noble-minded than who? Than those Thessalonians who drew, drove Paul out of the city. Uh, but we want to think about what, what kind of love does Paul have for these Christians that he's just left? He's just taught them. Many of them have become Christians. But now, listen, think about this. They're not just going from people who know about Jesus. Kind of like, they're not like in Cookville, okay? Everybody knows about Jesus who lives in Cookville, okay? Whether they follow him, they deny him, anywhere in between people here in the southern part of America, they know about Jesus. Even those people from California that are moving here, they already know about Jesus because they're here, okay? Right? But these are people who are pagan. These are people who are polytheistic, or they served many gods, or they're Jewish. And now Paul is saying, hey, you need to, to leave Judaism. Hey, you need to leave this temple worship. Hey, you need to leave all of these other gods, and you just need to follow Jesus. And all they know about Jesus is what Paul was able to preach to them in three weeks. And now he's gone, and they don't really have anything else to go on. What is Paul's great concern? Paul had a great love for these Christians in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. Uh, he 
him for sharing in the suffering uh, that many first century Christians experienced. Uh, he, he declares his strong desire to be with them. He says, I've been trying to get back to you over these last several months, but I've been hindered, even saying that Satan himself has been hindering him. Uh, and then when he can no longer stand it, when he just wants to know what's going on in Thessalonica, and he would know their names, right? He would know what's going on with this person, what's going on with that person, what about that person's mom or that person's dad that I studied with, what about this person's child that was sick right before I left, what about all these people? And he's, he's going through the names of the people, the people that he loves. We're just thinking about the Thessalonian Christians, but he knows name by name the people he's worried about. When he couldn't stand it any longer, he sends his right-hand man, Timothy, back to them. And Timothy comes back to him again months later and, and gives him a great report. And, uh, and things, things seem to, to be going very well, surprisingly even, uh, perhaps, that the Thessalonian Christians are able to uh, be faithful despite all of their limitations. Notice, notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 20. Talking about these Christians in Thessalonica, he says, For you are our glory and joy. He's proud of these Christians. Now, now you and I might say, well, Paul, you only knew these guys for three weeks. What do you mean? They're your, they're your, they're your glory and your joy. He has a great love for them. He loves them so much. He's proud of them. It sounds like something a mother would say to her child. You are our glory and joy. In Second Thessalonians, or sorry, First Thessalonians three and verse eight, he says this: For now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, now I know that every godly mother, and I'd say every mother who's here this morning, would say those words: We really live. I feel like I've really accomplished something. Because you stand firm in the Lord. Uh, let me tell you something we'll come back to right at the very end of our sermon. I, I would believe I, I'm, I'm there and never have been and won't be one. But I have a feeling for every Christian mom, there's, there's one thing they like above all other things. That on judgment day, you get to go to heaven. No matter what successes or failures or difficulties or mistakes or good decisions that you make in your life, Every Christian mom, every godly mom would say, I really live, I've really done something, I've really accomplished my goals, if you will stand firm in the Lord. Let's notice this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, three lessons that we can learn from a mother, motherly love. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 9 says this, For now we never came with flat, flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. God knows this. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed the gospel of God. Again, there's analogies throughout the whole Bible. And in this passage, in just a, a few short verses, it's going to talk about the reproving love of a father. But here he talks about the tender and caring love of a mother. And not just any mother, but a nursing mother. A mother who has a, a newborn baby. And I, I, can't, I can't relate to that because I haven't been there. Moms, you've been there and you know that, that, that emotional connection that you have with a child that you carried with, in your womb for nine months. 
That's something that fathers can never experience, that only mothers can experience, that deep emotional connection. And that's the type of love that Paul says he has for these people, that he cares about and loves them. He proved, number one, lesson number one, we proved to be gentle among you. A mother's tender care for her own children, again, like a newborn. So what's the lesson? Well, the lesson should be for us that the importance of gentleness in our lives should be ever-present. Everyone you meet, and you know this, but you don't always thinking about it. Think about it, because I'm the same way. I know this, but I don't always think about it. Everyone you meet is going through something, aren't they? Everyone you meet has baggage. Everyone you meet has drama. Everyone you meet has difficulty. Who knows what's happened to the people that you come in contact with on any given day? Maybe they've had a bad day at work. Maybe they just got fired. Maybe they've uh, just had a baby. Maybe they've just lost a baby. Maybe this, maybe that. We, We don't know what's going on in the lives of anyone we meet, but everyone is going through something. Be gentle. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. I don't think it's coincidence that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it's not mothers who are addressed in this verse, it's fathers who are addressed when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It doesn't say mothers don't provoke your children to anger. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there is a place for discipline and instruction But notice the importance of gentleness. Notice the importance of being gentle rather than being harsh. There are lots of ways that you can handle any given situation. And there are times when firmness is needed from mothers and from fathers. But time and again in Scripture, we are given examples and teachings about the importance of gentleness. And gentleness being a better path than harshness. Lesson number two from these verses. He says of these Christians in Thessalonica that he only knew for three weeks. We loved you so much. We had, we had so, such a fond affection for you that we not only wanted to share the gospel with you, but we wanted to share our lives with you too. Now we know the, the gospel is the most important thing. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul tells us uh, that the gospel is that most important thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this. For I delivered to you as of... First importance. It's the most important thing. What I also received that Christ was died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's the most important thing. But what do we see? When people become Christians, what's supposed to happen? Well, the earliest Christians in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 46, notice what it says about them. All those who had believed, all those who had become believers, all those who had become Christians were together and had all things in common, and day by day they were continuing with one mind or one focus. The most important thing that Paul ever did, the most important thing a mother will ever do, is to share the gospel. But in the best situations, notice I didn't say the best circumstances. The Thessalonian Christians, they were not in good circumstances. They were being persecuted severely day by day. If it, took, if it, if it was enough to get Paul out of town... A man who was shipwrecked three times, a man who was beaten, a man who went through all of these things and went back and went back and went back. If it was enough to get him out of town, it must have been some pretty severe persecution. But in the best situations, in sharing the gospel, it also resulted in sharing 
lives. When I first got here, something I was looking for as a, as a minister and something that many of you mentioned to me is this idea, this phrase that maybe you've heard before, doing life together. And I love that phrase. The idea that, that we as a church, we as the body of Christ here at Jefferson Avenue, we do life together. I think that sounds really good. But it isn't easy, is it? Because when do we see each other? Generally, we see each other here and, and now, and, and it's hardest for us to see each other every day. Paul shared that gospel uh, with, with so many people. And he was a vital part of the conversion of many, many people in multiple places. But in every one of those places, he wanted something more. He wanted a relationship. Let me ask you this. When we think about this idea of doing life together, what part of your life does God want to be control of? What part of your life does God not want to be in control of? See, God wants to be in charge of your life when you're here on Sunday morning. But when you go to the restaurant here in a little while, God wants to be in charge of your life. When you go to work tomorrow, God wants to be in charge of your life. When you're home with your family, God wants to be in charge of your life. I think that's the reason why perhaps doing life together and having these relationships and, and having this, this fond affection for one another that, that extends beyond Sunday mornings, that's why it's important because I know God wants to be in charge of my life all the time. And sometimes that's easier than others. And you know when it's the easiest? When I'm around you. Is that when it's the easiest for you to be a Christian? When you're around other Christians? Probably. It's probably why we need to do it more. Mothers do what is necessary. Uh, they, they raise their children, but they want so much more. And, and again, you can probably relate to this. I, I'm, uh, we're, we live about uh, five hours from our family now, and it, it's difficult to maintain relationships with people when you're five hours away from them. It's difficult to, uh, to, to maintain and have that, that closeness that you want to have. And I think about it, and my mom's probably going to watch this later, so she's going to hear this, and that's okay. Um, I have never appreciated probably the desire that my parents have wanted to have a close relationship with me until I had my own kids. And if you don't have kids, you probably don't appreciate the desire that your parents have to want to have a close relationship with you, and you won't until you have kids. I, I can't imagine Riley and Benjamin growing up, and it's, it's really hard for me to imagine them even moving away. It's hard for me to imagine not being with them every day. And, and helping them and supporting them and, and loving them. That's the kind of relationship that Paul had with the Thessalonians. He wanted to be with them desperately. They needed him, and, and he says he needed them. The, the joy and the glory that they were for him. We have to work on, it takes much effort to have these kinds of relationships in our families and in our church family. And somehow, you have to figure out how are you going to develop those relationships with other Christians so that they can help you on your walk towards heaven. Lastly, this morning, what's another lesson from this passage that we can learn from moms? He asked the, the Christians there at Thessalonica to remember their work. He says, remember that night and day we proclaim the gospel to you so we wouldn't be a burden to you. This picture of servanthood vividly reminds us of motherhood. Mothers kiss the boo-boos, they rock the baby, they wash the dishes, they fold the clothes, they pack lunches, they go on playdates, they go to soccer practice, recitals, they emphasize worship services, they tuck children in, they clean them up, and occasionally they may hose them down. A mother knows about working night and day, and perhaps rarely getting pampered. 
Paul had displayed this type of care and concern for not only those in Thessalonica, but for others that he had loved as well. He asked the elders at Ephesus when he talks to them on his way back to Jerusalem to remember, it says in Acts 20, 31, that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. If there's outside of Jesus, if there is an example of someone who displayed strong love for his fellow Christians or those who would follow him, it is Paul. Paul loved the people that he worked with so much. And he suffered because of that love. And don't moms do the same thing. Moms are invested in their children. It's much more than a nine-to-five job. As a a matter of fact, for many of you, it is your identity. You lose your name, and now you are simply so-and-so's mom, right? What about our Christianity? Is our Christianity a part-time job? Is it a full-time job? Or is it our identity? When people look at us, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way we live our lives, do they, do they identify us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who are striving to be more like Jesus every day? So three lessons from mom this morning. Be gentle. It usually accomplishes more than harshness and perhaps even than firmness. Love. Love enough to do what is necessary, but long to share in the lives of others that you love. Yes, your own family, but even with your church family. And both of those will take effort. We all love the idea of doing life together, but it's not going to happen if we don't put forth the effort. And then work. Don't be lazy. Your mom wouldn't be proud of you if you were lazy. God won't be pleased with you if you're lazy. Night and day, in order to accomplish much in the lives of of others. It's been said time and time again the importance of moms and and you know that. You know no matter what your situation's been, you know the importance of mom. You know the impact that a mom has had in your life or the lack of an impact that a mom has had in your life. We can learn some lessons from moms. But again, let me encourage you this morning, if you're visiting with us or if you've been here every Sunday since the doors have opened, Uh, There's nothing more your mom would want. And much more importantly, there's nothing more that God wants than for you to go to heaven one day. God loved you so much that he sent his son to come and die for you. And through his miraculous power, he raised him again from the dead. This morning, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected son of God, you're willing to confess that with your mouth, no matter what that may bring to your life, positively or negatively, and show that with your actions in repentance. And you can be baptized into Christ this morning where all of your sins are washed away and you have a relationship with a Father in heaven who is perfect, unlike our mothers or our fathers. If you have sin in your life, Jesus is the way to have that sin removed. And we would encourage you to think about this morning any changes that you need to make in your life. Moms, thank you. Thank you for your example, thank you for your love, and thank you for your care. Brothers and sisters, there's a God who loves us even more than a mama. And if you want to be more of who he wants you to be and we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.